Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's a rare Wednesday episode of Today in Ohio with Layla Tassi on the panel. <laughs> she normally doesn't make it on Wednesday for other reasons that are pretty serious, but she's here today. I'm the so, highlight. Well, <laughs> I'm, the, I'm what you start off with. I was really glad you're going to be here because the first thing we're talking yeah. about is right up your alley. I know. I love it. So it is Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. And I'm Chris Quinn here with Layla, as well as Laura Johnston and Lisa Garvin. Midweek, moving right along. We're getting very close to the holiday period. You all ready to get started? Absolutely. Yeah, let's right. mm-hmm. Layla, it's coming your way. <laughs> what odd instructions did Cleveland Mayor Frank Jackson give to the consultant studying how to save the West Side Market? And what overall has the consultant now recommended? Layla, this was a bit of a jaw dropper because Jackson is literally less than three weeks away from leaving office (laughs) and still inflicting his will on things that for which we have disagreements. So what did he do? All right. So so Jackson hired this consultant back in February to come up with ways to improve the West Side market and, and to ensure its future because this place has been suffering. It's kind of a dump. It needs millions of dollars in capital improvements. And the vendors have been leaving it. And the ones that remain are pretty unhappy. And he hired this consultant in the midst of this big public conversation and debate over whether the city should contract with a third party to manage the market. Jackson has always hated that idea. He sees the you know the market as a, an asset that the city should manage on its own. But but many vendors and others, including City Councilman Kerry McCormick, who represents the, the Ohio City neighborhood, have been calling for that. Uh, well, you know, the consultant has submitted his report, and it contains a lot of great suggestions for improvement, but it doesn't mention that, that idea of bringing on an independent operator. In fact, it really talks around it. And lo and behold, McCormick tells reporter Courtney Astolfi that Jackson had actually instructed the consultant not to consider that at all among the solutions for the market. And the consultant confirmed that that was true. So in essence, Jackson blocked the consultant from considering what many believe is the key recommendation to make the market viable long term. Considering that Jackson, as you said, is literally on his way out the door at City Hall and incoming Mayor Justin Bibb has said he's very interested in bringing on a third party operator, forcing this consultant to omit that seems ridiculous and extremely short-sighted to me. Well, 
Well, there there are a couple of things about it that that strike me. I mean, first, Jackson has this thing about assets. You never give up an asset. You know, you, why would I have a middleman right. sucking money out of this? Blah blah blah. So so he's always been dead set against this. But but it was in the atmosphere of discussions about a third party operator that this study was launched and so even though it may not have been explicitly stated that that would be an option to consider i think everybody expected that option would be reviewed that mean that this was the answer to all of the angst about the west side market they're going to get this person they're going to come in with the best plans so i am surprised that that this order was given that you don't consider it now i i get from jackson's perspective there's no way I'm going to do that, so don't even come back to me with that, is fine, except that he's leaving. I mean, this thing right. now has come out less than three weeks after he's going out the door, and we have a consultant saying, yeah, I would have considered it, but I was told not to. This is going to get considered. I mean, Jackson's <laughs> will is not going to be in place in three weeks. He can't stop it from being considered. Right. So why not give the incoming administration the benefit of the full study so that they can make a decision based on everything. It's a surprising thing. You know, he's he's Jackson is doing a, a ribbon cutting or groundbreaking for the new police headquarters out on Opportunity Corridor mm-hmm. Thursday. And it's like, why? You know, the next administration may not want to build it out there. Right. And they're the ones that will get to make that decision. So why, with three weeks to go, are you out there, you know, putting a gold shovel in the ground? Yeah, in fact, he has he has a whole slate of ribbon cuttings and groundbreakings lined up before he leaves office, as if that ceremony, you know, consecrates the ground in a way that <laughs> makes it impossible to undo under the next administration. That's just ludicrous. So what I do you think, Layla? Is, is he just refusing to let go? I would think after 16 years, you'd say, okay, I've had my run for 16 years. It's the next guy's turn. But it feels like he's clenching onto this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, he tried to ram through his American Rescue Plan spending. That's right. You know, even though he won't spend the money, Justin Bibb will spend the money. So why not just let Justin Bibb do it? What do you think's going on? I mean, I've said before, I think that he doesn't trust Bibb to be wise uh, in, in his decision making. And even if he understands that all this can be undone quite easily under in, in the next, you know, uh, in the next stretch here. <laughs> three um, weeks. Yeah, in three weeks. Um, I think he feels like maybe he's leaving Justin Bibb the breadcrumbs. <laughs> He's like leaving the the path to success, like letting him know, like we have decided that this is the best way to use. You know, if, if Justin Bibb is smart, he'll follow follow the guidance here. Um, All right, but, but stop. Wouldn't wouldn't the much more effective path for that to bring him in and say, look, Justin, I've I've put a lot of work into the American Rescue Plan. I've put a lot of work into the police headquarters. I've put a lot of thought into the West Side Market. Let me share with you my thinking because you're going to be the one making these decisions and and I think what I've been doing would benefit you and then you take it. Here's the baton. Yeah. By doing it this way, it's almost a slap in Justin Bibb's face and Jackson has always been a pragmatic guy. This is foolish. It's it's it won't work. You're right. 
you're right. All right. So, <laughs> so what does the consultant recommend we do with the West Side Market, the failing West Side Market, where all the merchants are always well, grumpy? There, there, uh, there are like a hundred pages of great recommendations, and actually, some of them are very artfully worded to sort of insinuate that a, an outside operator would do these things better. Like, for instance, boosting the autonomy and size of market management and stripping away bureaucratic hurdles so basic needs can be addressed more quickly. Clearly, that's saying that, you know, doing this from City Hall is not working for for the market. Uh, you know, they act they they want to he recommends actively promoting the market. The city's current management is severely understaffed with limited resources to address marketing. <laughs> so read be, in between the lines on what he's really saying here. It says, you know, such efforts could could draw new diverse vendors, including more minorities, women, refugees, and immigrants, and that would attract a larger or more diverse customer base. Um, he recommended adding seats and other social spaces for market goers. There really isn't any now. You know, the, he says, you know, the alley space around the market could be tapped for those kinds of purposes. That to me seems like a no brainer they should have thought of a long time ago. They should have made that happen. I think whenever you go to the market, that seems glaringly obvious that there's no place to sit. <laughs> and enjoy yourself, unless they just want people to keep on moving. <laughs> I know the vendors feel that way sometimes, that there are too many tourists in the market. Um, and they, he recommends adding sp- spaces for special events um, and bringing in more merchandise in line with what peop- what shoppers like, you know, prepared foods, local produce, uh, yeah, international local. and ethnic foods, and th- gluten-free. Yeah, well, the gluten-free. The local produce is the one that I always throws me because I think people think, oh, I'm getting great produce there, and they get their produce at the same food terminal all the grocery stores do. It's nothing, right. nothing special. It would be cool if this would be a signature place. So this consultant has had success in Philadelphia and elsewhere in recommending a private operator come in and be mm-hmm. solely dedicated to fixing it. The Philadelphia Reading Terminal is much healthier today as a result. But, and Laura, you can speak to this. When we went to private operators for the former MedMart that has had multiple names now, <laughs> it was an abject failure. No one can run that thing. I mean, one was taking money away. They just got caught taking lots of money away and had to pay it back. There are drawbacks to private operators that are trying to profit and suck some money out of the operation. I guess the question comes down to, even with the profit motive for a private operator, does the greater attention to detail instead of the quagmire and swamp of City Hall allow for a better operation? I, I, I mean, I think it's worth it. It's not like City Hall is an expert in groceries or, you know, or, or restaurants. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I'm actually surprised there's not a nonprofit that wants to take this on, like some kind of Ohio City group or restaurant management association or, I don't know, just Cleveland foodies. It's I know we keep talking about this as, as failing, but it was only a decade ago that I think we this was one of the gems of the city. And I think it still is. It's a, it is a tourist attraction. It's something we're proud of as a city. It's, it's very, very Cleveland at its core. And I think it, we need to protect that. It has not kept up with the way people shop. I mean, it has not been. Look, there is a big foodie culture and people want the best ingredients and the 
and and you know they want to be able to do some cool things with it and this has not evolved at all I, still... I agree so why don't we get people like you know some of the chefs in cleveland get destination cleveland get some other yeah. heads together no, and it, collaborate it, on creating i mean i i i hate to create another nonprofit. i mean does the world really does cleveland really need one more nonprofit? <laughs> but it's something to consider here well come january 3rd justin bibb may have to private keys out of frank jackson's hand but it will be his decision on what to do with it come january you're listening to today in ohio why aren't all the people and groups challenging Ohio's new congressional and legislative districts as being unfairly drawn, filing their cases in federal court as well as with the Ohio Supreme Court? Laura, Andrew Tobias did a very good explanation of why this is happening. There's some recent precedents that make it clear you need to be in the state court system. Yeah, the Supreme Court pretty much said, you know, you can't do that. So Ohioans tried it in 2019, and it worked for a minute. That's when the American Civil Liberties Union, the ACLU, and a group of voting rights advocates used the federal court system to get Ohio's congressional map thrown out as a legal gerrymander in favor of Republicans. But later that year, the Supreme Court issued a landmark ruling in a North Carolina case that set a new national standard, and it restored Ohio's congressional map for the 2020 election. It was a 5-4 decision, and the conservative justices ruled that partisan gerrymandering is a political problem that must be addressed through state and federal courts not or or law changes not a legal issue that needs to be enforced by the federal courts there is a small loophole here because they say partisan gerrymandering and if you're looking at racial man gerrymandering that can be do, done through the federal courts that is a much more complex kind of case that takes potentially years to decide so the power is in the ohio supreme court and we will have a decision sometime i believe in the next couple of weeks you're listening to Today in Ohio. How are Ohio lawmakers proposing to use artificial intelligence to make it easier for Ohioans to engage with a variety of state services? Lisa, it's clear to me that there is no genuine intelligence with Ohio lawmakers, <laughs> given what they've been passing. So maybe artificial intelligence is the way to go. Maybe it's their admission that they're too dumb to do their jobs. Let's turn it over to machine learning. Well, I'm normally suspicious of, of AI, but in this case, it kind of makes sense. It, the, there's a bill. It doesn't have a number yet or, any, or a name, but uh, the two co-sponsors are Senator Steve Wilson, who's a Republican from Warren County, and Representative Thomas Hall, who's from Butler County. Um, basically, they've already used this tool. They had a $500,000 license from Deloitte Accounting to use their software to crawl through you know, their their revised code and all this other stuff. And in this little demo project, they found up to $4.4 million in savings and about 5,800 work hours saved. Um, so they're hoping that they can like decrease face-to-face -face interaction between government officials and, and the public by giving them online and electronic ways to communicate and do their business. So they're looking at you know, using this AI to improve electronic or reduce communication, face to face communication with taxpayers. And they think that'll save about three and a half million dollars. You can do uh, driver's license suspensions remotely, hopefully. They're looking at over 100 actions that would reduce these in person interactions with government and the public. And also, streamline state laws. Apparently, in this little pilot project, this 
AI took just a few seconds to identify redundant laws, outdated laws, archaic language and things like that. So, I, you know, I think our probably our revised code is probably a tangled mess that needs to be updated and maybe AI is the only way to do it. Well, no, I would argue that smart people could do it, but well, we not a lot of that. In I mean, I actually got a note uh, the other day from somebody who had planned to to stay in Ohio in retirement, but they're so embarrassed and upset with what the legislature has been doing, they're going to move out of state. This legislature, especially this latest couple of years, has been embarrassingly bad for Ohio. They've made a lot of bad calls. So I joke about the lack of genuine intelligence, but there does seem to be a lack of genuine intelligence. We'll see if the artificial can make it better. You're listening to Today in Ohio. How many millions of dollars did a Cleveland company overcharge the Department of Defense for various parts, according to a new audit? Laura, this is not a company that most people are familiar with, even though it's a behemoth on the Cleveland scene. Yeah, this is a Transdime, and it's $21 million between January 2017 through June 2019. And this is from, this is according to an audit by the Department of Defense's Inspector General. And Transdime sells spare parts for aircraft and airframes. It had $568.6 million in contracts with the Department of Defense during that year and a half. Transdime is defending itself. It released a statement saying the report makes clear there was no wrongdoing by the company. It questioned the methods and over calculating overcharges. But basically, the audit says that 95% of these contracts were below a price threshold that requires additional scrutiny. So $268.2 million of the sales, they didn't have to provide certified cost data, which the Pentag- or so the DOD says is crucial to making sure they're not being overcharged. So it's kind of, it feels to me like you're submitting receipts almost with your company expenses, and you just don't have to put receipts under a certain threshold. So you're just going to, I mean, I'm not saying they're faking the numbers, but they, they've got close to this threshold and they didn't have to provide the needed documentation to say that they were charging a fair price. They have said they were hit by a previous audit in previous years, and that's why Congress wanted this one. They have said that the measurement is not fair, that the measurement is based on the the revenue instead, or it's it's based on the total amount of money coming in instead of the the profit, that that the idea of the standard that they're using is not an accurate measure of a business's success or not, and they're questioning it. But it is the government standard. They also argue that the government gets a far lower price on these parts than anybody in the private sector does. Uh, But still, do they have to pay it back? I don't think the report says that. And Transdime definitely has not said whether they'll pay the money back or not. But according to this, the any profit over 15% was considered excess. That's the standard that they were using. And they're talking about 150 out of the 152 uh, contracts were were not proving that they were giving them fair prices. So that seems like a really high, really high number. And I think anybody would like to, to have a 15% profit. Well, and even though they're arguing they don't think the way they're measuring that profit is fair, they did agree to it when they took the contract, so they've got a Right, and they're not money. they're obviously not new to federal contracts. Like this new. is not a new th- new thing. No, they bought a lot of companies that had government contracts and and they're the sole supplier for a lot of the parts they have. They're in a very good position. You're listening to Today in Ohio. 
Which buildings in Cleveland receive the much-coveted historic preservation tax credits for coming development? Lisa, this always seems like a big moment in the development world. They're all hanging on the, the, the breath of the state government to find out who gets what. Who gets what? Well, and apparently these are very competitive, you know, awards. So yeah, a lot of people applied for them and only a few get awarded. These were announced yesterday by the Ohio Development uh, Department. There are two dozen projects in all, about $36.2 million, six of them being in Northeast Ohio, three of them here in Cleveland. The one that got the biggest one was uh, 45 Erie View Plaza. That's been vacant since AT&T moved out back in October of 2019. They get a $5 million tax credit for a $102 million project to create 368 apartments along with a gym, outdoor pool, some storefronts, and one office space in 45 Erie View Plaza. Another one one is the Consolidated Fruit Auction Company, which is 80 acres at 601 Stones Levy. They're going to be getting $815,000 to turn that into the home for uh, Cleveland whiskey. So they'll have a distillery there, a restaurant, a bar, and, and, and event spaces. That project will be $8.2 million overall. That building dates back to 1911. The third one here in Cleveland is the Agora Theater Complex at 5000 Euclid Avenue. They're getting a $250,000 credit for a $2 million renovation. They're going to create 35 market rate apartments in that building. They also got an additional quarter million in credits awarded by the state. So, you know, and, and interesting, a 45-year view plaza was like finished in the 80s, but it's considered historical because it's part of a, an, a the Erie View Historical District, which is why it got the money. Yeah, we've talked earlier about how we pick what's historical or not. Sometimes right. It seems like they're picking some ugly buildings, but very good that Cleveland's getting some of these credits and the development will come and we need more downtown apartments. You're listening to Today in Ohio. How many more millions of dollars is Cleveland Hopkins International Airport getting because of revenue loss to the pandemic? And Layla, will they use any of it to clean the bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I like that. I like that because, you know, I complained about the bathrooms when I, <laughs> when I went through there. So uh, Congresswoman Marcy Kaptur announced that Hopkins is getting a $4.1 million grant from the U.S. Department of Transportation to help it offset rent and, and other revenue it lost from concessionaires during the pandemic. You know, this, of course, is American Rescue Plan money. $8 billion has been carved out to help airports with all the pandemic-related costs, you know, relief from rent and minimal annual guarantees for eligible airport concessions. Our reporter, Sabrina Eaton, wrote that this newly announced money is on top of nearly $32.6 million that Hopkins already received from the Federal Aviation Administration earlier this year to provide economic relief for, for other costs related to operations, personnel, cleaning, sanitization, janitorial services, debt service payments, and, and combating the spread of pathogens. And, you know, she, she says that, that nationwide, year-to-date, air traffic is down about 35% from 2019 levels. You know, I, I don't know, that's frankly surprising to me. You know, the one time I traveled this year, I felt like Every airport I passed through was packed beyond my comfort level, even in non-pandemic times. <laughs> and th there wasn't an empty seat on any plane that I boarded. I had assumed that everyone had gotten right back to it. But apparently, it's a, a drop in business travel that's driving those numbers down. And, uh, you know, that still hasn't rebounded, though leisure travel has. So, um, although, yeah. Although I do know people who normally would have been flying this holiday season who have decided they're going to drive because mm. they just don't feel like dealing with the 
the difficulties of the airports or the closed-in spaces. Even if you're vaccinated and boosted, uh, you're still getting crammed in like sardines. And so I'm not surprised that it's down. You know, and we eventually, someday, years from now, when the pandemic is over, we'll want airports to be continuing in existence. So it's good that they're getting the subsidy they need to basically stay in existence and keep those bathrooms clean. (laughs) You're listening to Today in Ohio. How many more guns were seized in Columbus than Cleveland in 2020? What about Cincinnati? Laura, I'm kind of stunned that Cleveland was not number one for gun seizures in Ohio, not even number two. No, we are not. Columbus topped the list with 27 52 firearms traced and recovered. Next was Cincinnati was 2,284, and then Cleveland was third with 1,693. So I have to say, I'm not entirely sure whether being high on this list is good or bad. Like, on the bad side, you have a lot of guns. On the good side, you're recovering those guns. But um, regardless, Columbus has a lot more people. I actually had no idea how big Columbus was till I Googled the populations yesterday so I could do the math. Columbus has 905,000 people. So that's a gun for every 329 residents. Cincinnati, that's a gun for every 134. And Cleveland, that's one gun for every 227. Unless, unless I'm messing up math or whatever here. But that's how that's what I came up with. I, I just I was surprised. I would have thought, given what we've seen in Cleveland, I think we have had a massive amount of gun violence that we would have been higher up. But you're right. It might be that we're not doing a good job in enforcement and we're leaving the guns on the street. Uh, but it's still however you look at it, that's a huge number of guns that police are recovering in Ohio. And they're all mostly used in crimes or or used for illicit purposes. And th- this is an increase across the state. We're looking at about a 20 percent increase over the the prior year. So they had recovered 16,562 firearms in, in 2020 compared to 13,853 in 2019. And actually, what is interesting is East Cleveland is on this list as number seven in 2020 for the most recovered guns. And obviously, it is a very small town compared to everyone else because the rest of the list is Toledo, Dayton, Akron, Youngstown, Warren, and Middletown, basically the biggest cities in, in, in the state. Yeah, that is interesting about East Cleveland. You are listening to Today in Ohio. The mystery disappearance of a guitarist and songwriter for the OJs has been solved at long last in Twinsburg, of all places. Lisa, this is a mystery that goes back four decades. What happened? It does. Uh, Well, this is like DNA coming to the rescue here. Um, Just a little bit of background. Frank, Frankie Miller Jr. was a guitarist and songwriter for the OJs back in the 60s. And this would have really been before they really made it big in the early 70s. So he was there, you know, in the early days. He's a Cleveland native. He was born in 1943. But what happened was back in 1982, there were remains found behind a now-closed business in Twinsburg on Cannon Road. The remains included a skull that apparently was sitting out in the open, and they found a femur and some other bones, and they just sat in the medical examiner's office for 40 years. They finally were ID'd in October by a, uh, the DNA Doe Project. They found some names of potential living relatives and were able to match the DNA. But the, his disappearance is still a mystery. They, you know, he was last seen around 105th and Superior, 
sometime in the late 60s, early 70s. I believe he probably died in the mid-70s, but it is a homicide. They ruled it a homicide. They found some uh, head trauma on the skull, and the case is actually open. They're actually looking for anybody who might have known or seen or heard something from 40 years ago. So, yeah, and this actually made national news. I saw it on CNN. I saw it on NBC News. So, you know, it took 40 years, but they finally figured out what happened, you know. Go ahead. I mean, it's got everything. It's the OJs, right? The well-known, right. you know, band from the '70s. It's a 40-year-old murder mystery. I mean, you'll you'll end up seeing Netflix documentaries about this before too long. But Twinsburg. Who would have thought it would end in Twinsburg? So we'll have to see if they solve that case. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We're going to end a little bit early because we're moving on to record a special episode when we're not recording daily during the holidays. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you for listening to Today in Ohio. (music) 